Hey, hey, podcasters, we are back. It's Sherry Purdy. This is Debbie Olson. And today we have Katie Stedman, an RN. She's an OB nurse, and she's here to talk to us about what to expect when you're expecting for the moms and the dads, because I think it's important for dads to be heard too, don't you, Deb? Absolutely. There's a lot of things you go through when you, you get pregnant, and um, even if you've had a baby before, you can learn from this podcast because... Every pregnancy is different. This is going to be a long one. So there's going to be two episodes on this because there's so much to talk about. So we're going to start this out. And uh, thanks for coming, Katie. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell everybody, um, you're not only an OB nurse, but you're telling us that you have children of your own. So you know exactly how or what to expect, what you're expecting, correct? Yes, but I will say, even though I'm an OB nurse, it's totally different when you're the patient. So when I felt like I was pregnant and I'm a pro at this, when all of a sudden it's your body and your baby, all of that knowledge kind of goes out the window. But yes, I have been an OB nurse for many years now and I have a almost six-year-old little boy, a two-year-old little boy, and a four-month-old little baby girl. So you are definitely experienced and can help all of our listeners out there about if they're trying or thinking they want to have a baby someday down the road, really give them the the true knowledge of what to expect, what you're expecting, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I guess we might as well just jump right in and um, ask that first question. If I was wanting to get pregnant, what are some things I should do or prepare myself or my husband should prepare himself to try and get pregnant? So we always say um, if a patient calls and wants to um start trying to conceive a baby, you can always make an appointment for a preconception counseling visit. That would just kind of get you established in our clinic, established with our providers, and they could give you some tips going forward to make yourself the healthiest you could be um, upon conception. One thing, if you don't have time to make that appointment, is you can start a prenatal vitamin as you're trying to um, conceive a baby. Um, exercise, well-balanced diet, sleeping well, drinking lots of water, all of those things that make you or I healthy people is also good for anyone that's trying to conceive a baby to be in your best health um, going forward. I think too, I mean, that's all things we should be doing anyway. But I also think I had, I thought I had read once in a nutrition book back in college (laughs) that (laughs) it's just as important for the male uh, if they want to conceive, to do the same thing, watch what they're eating, um, avoid alcohol or as a, avoid as much alcohol because it does affect conception. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. You want your partner to be healthy as well. Um, so it makes the trying process easier um, as far as sperm count and things like that go. Um, but plus, as a woman, it makes it easier to live a healthy lifestyle when your partner's living a healthy lifestyle as well. If your partner's not smoking, it'll make you not want to smoke or drinking or you guys are exercising together, eating healthy meals together. It's going to make you guys do it as a pair. Awesome. Okay. So we're, we're let's say let's the, the sperm meets the egg and boom, now there's a fetus. What should they start to expect the minute that happens? Anything with their body as far as changes or they may not even know they're pregnant at first? Correct. So um, typically conception happens in the middle of a cycle. So week two, um, around 14 days after your period. You really won't know that conception has happened for two to four weeks after that. So usually about the time that you have a missed period, you can find out that you're pregnant. 
usually the missed period is your first sign that you're pregnant. You're not essentially feeling nauseated or tired or sore breasts, things like that at that time. It usually takes a couple of weeks. Now, some people do feel those symptoms earlier on, but I would say a missed period is the first sign of pregnancy for a lot of patients. When do most women start to feel nauseated? Um, I, I mean, I personally knew I was pregnant because I became nauseated, especially with my second baby. I have two children. First baby, I was nauseated my entire pregnancy. Second baby, I the second week I became pregnant, I knew I was pregnant because of the nausea coming back. But not every woman's like that. So during that first trimester, um, can you explain what trimesters mean first off and then what to ex- what to expect during that first trimester? So there's three trimesters of pregnancy, the first trimester being weeks 1 through 13, second trimester weeks 13 through 28, the third trimester 28 through 40-ish weeks whenever you deliver. The first trimester of pregnancy is typically when people will experience that nausea, the morning sickness, um, mainly in part because during the first trimester is when the baby is starting to form and your hormones are skyrocketing up. So those hormones will kind of cause you to feel more nauseated. Typically, a mama will start to feel better around the 12 to 13 week mark because at that point, your hormone levels will start to level off as the placenta kind of takes over and starts to manage all the hormone levels in a mom. I would say usually people feel nauseated between six to seven weeks pregnant and that 13 weeks pregnant mark. That's not saying that you can't feel nauseated right right away before you've even missed a period at three weeks. And it's not saying that it's going to go away right away at 13 weeks. Some people do feel nausea and vomiting into the second trimester and even into the third trimester. I would say that's a much, much smaller sliver of people that feel sick throughout pregnancy. Most people will say it's almost like a switch. Once that 13 week mark hits, they start to feel a lot better. And I think, Sherry, you were just kind of a rare case. Yeah, I was an oddball. You were, you, I mean, terribly sick. Yeah. I mean, I I was super sick. And and, uh, with my first child, I came in and used to do intravenous IV treatments up until the week I had my child. So I was admitted to the hospital four times. And but that is an odd case. Most women do not go through that. My hormones were just so up there that it was actually protecting the baby. Yeah. So, I mean, the the point of those hormones is to protect the placenta or protect the baby. And so every time I came actually to this same site we're at today, the doctors would always be like, that's a good sign. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> Feels great. It doesn't make you feel any better no. while your face is in a toilet bowl, <laughs> yeah. but it is a good sign that the baby is healthy and move, yeah. you know, things are moving in the right direction. So as far as um, besides nausea, what other things are happening to their body when they're in that first 13 weeks that you mentioned? So a lot of people will feel like breast tenderness, fatigue. They, they will be so, so tired. You're not physically feeling the baby moving and you're usually not showing during that first trimester. So it is kind of crazy. Like what little thing is making me feel this crappy essentially? <laughs> um, but very, very tired. A lot of mamas will feel that way. Um, I remember with my first little boy, I was working labor and delivery unit and I would literally sit on my couch as I was waiting to leave for work and I would set my alarm for five minutes later and I would fall asleep asleep. (laughs) and then my alarm would go off and it'd be time for me to get up to go to work. So a lot of fatigue in the first trimester, nausea, breast tenderness, 
Sometimes people experience cramping as the baby is implanting to the side of the uterus and um, starting to grow. So people will experience some of those abdominal cramps. Can you do anything for those symptoms to help alleviate some of the the cramping or the, the fatigue or especially the nausea? Can you do any natural things? So for um, nausea, we used to just give you a prescription for medication. Now we're saying a lot of insurance companies won't essentially cover that prescription right off the bat. So we have to go kind of through a whole um, checked box series. So we typically tell our patient um, a combination of vitamin B6 and Unisom can help with nausea from a pharmacy pharmacological standpoint. Um, Naturally, you can try to keep yourself hydrated and eat small little meals throughout the day. When you feel super nauseated, you don't really want to eat a lot, but the more empty your stomach gets, the worse the nausea is going to be. So we do try to tell our patients to eat something like toast, crackers, something like that every couple of hours to keep something in their tummies um, to help prevent some of that nausea. Fatigue, just Try to rest when you can rest. Try to get a good night of sleep. I think sleep is one of the biggest things for everybody's health that we don't think of. We always think we got to get a gym membership. We got to eat healthy. Um, but you also need to try to get that eight hours of sleep at night, which is hard, especially when it's not your first baby right. and you have a lot going on at home. So as far as dads, we don't want to leave them out. Is there anything that they can do during that time to help? the wife or is there certain foods that you should avoid you know if 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 a father's out there cooking for his wife foods that you should eat i've heard certain things you could eat or may help like i've heard peppermint oil helps a little bit but stay away from the spicy foods because they can do acid reflux like are there anything out there for those dads listening okay if you want to help your wife in cooking things to help eat or not eat so typically with cooking um, a lot of questions we get will be about like some heavy hitters as far as eating and drinking will be like coffee. Everything in moderation with pregnancy. It is okay for women to have one cup of coffee. We don't want you to have one pot of coffee. We want you to stay away from like the cold lunch meat. So if you did want to go to Subway for dinner that night, you could still eat Subway. You would just want to... um, Warm it? Yeah. A warm sub. Yeah. What do they call that? Toasted. 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 Yeah. yeah, you'd want to have like an oven toasted sub. Right. A lot of times dads do just feel helpless in general during pregnancy because, let's face it, we're doing most mm-hmm. of the work here. The dad's work was kind of mm-hmm. over with after that fun night that they had. <laughs> um, but dads can still be very supportive, even just making sure she has a cup of water at her bedside at nighttime, sometimes even just waking up with her at night while she can't sleep and just kind of feeling that um, companionship throughout the pregnancy. Little things like maybe scheduling her to get a pedicure, giving her a little bit of time to herself, watching the other kids so that she can go take a nap, things like that. Little back room. Yes, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You had mentioned... Uh, don't eat the cold lunch meat. Can you tell our listeners why that would be something they want to avoid a little bit? So typically with the cold lunch meat thing, they're worried about um, listeria, a bacteria called listeria that can make you sick and make the baby sick. So that's why they say to avoid the cold lunch meat. Okay. And um, I had mentioned peppermint oil. Is that true? Those oils, do they work for women? A lot of people will swear by the essential oils. I used some while I was pregnant. I'm not savvy enough to really be a professional on it, but I do think like the lavender helped me sleep. I would diffuse that in the air. 
a lot of times people will put it in their bath water just for the aroma of calming, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But I know you can get online and um, look up all different uses of those oils. I know that, you know, it seems like that's one of the biggest things out there now is trying things natural, like you said. So uh, insurance companies want you to try that too. So um, I had read a lot about oils and and what they do for for women too. They didn't have that so much back in my day. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I didn't have the oils unless I was eating vegetable oil. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I didn't have the peppermint oils, but I certainly now love the smell of them. Mm -hmm. And it does put your mind in a whole different mindset when you do have that those aromas in the air absolutely a lot of mind over body type things so okay so first trimester is done what can we what can we expect going into that second trimester so the first trimester often feels the longest because you feel the crappiest and you're kind of keeping your pregnancy a secret during that time because a lot of people aren't announcing that you're pregnant so some people just feel super excited to get to the second trimester you can now announce your pregnancy um So the first trimester, you'll start to see a baby bump too. Usually the baby will grow. You're usually feeling better during this trimester, um, but you're not super huge yet that you're, you know, more uncomfortable. Um, During the second trimester, we do, we offer the quad screen to the mom. So that's a genetic test that they can have done that tests for neural tube defects and um, Down syndrome and things like that. Um, At 20 weeks, they come in for their anatomy scans, so the long ultrasound, where they can find out if their baby is a boy or a girl. Um, So the second trimester is pretty chill, I think. it's um, You're kind of just coasting, then you're enjoying your pregnancy, you're maybe picking out things on your baby registry, starting to plan your um, baby showers, things like that. Mm-hmm. I always thought the second trimester was the easiest yes. of the trimesters. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's kind of like the glory days of it all. <laughs> yeah, the <Yeah>. glory days. <laughs> <laughs> so with the second trimester, you mentioned um, about finding out what the baby is. So what week does that occur where you can actually see where the baby is a male or female? So around 20 weeks is when they can get a good look at the boy parts or the girl parts. Um, and also typically for a normal, healthy, low risk pregnancy, you get one ultrasound in the beginning. So either at eight weeks or 12 weeks, and then you don't have another ultrasound until 20 weeks. So at 20 weeks is when you can really tell boy or girl. I didn't, I didn't Mm -hmm. find out what my second child was and it was a lot of fun. And I, and I I knew what my first one was. I have three girls, never knew what I was having. I liked that. But the last one, I was like, you know what? I, I don't need any more surprises. Let's find out. <laughs> Got on that table. She she just couldn't really hone in on it. She's like, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't tell. I was so sad. I was like, <laughs> I just need to know what this is. But no, it was another girl. And I think it's really, you know, to each their own. And you see all these gender reveal parties. But I think it's really cool to go in, have a baby. And it's this big surprise. It is. Absolutely. It's exciting. Like with my second child, like I knew my first one and it was great. It was my first one I knew. Second one, I was like, I don't want to know. And I remember when Jack came out, I was like, the doctor was like, well, it's a boy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, I don't kid about things like that. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it it is exciting. Did you know for yours, Katie? I found out with all three of mine what they were, but I will say working labor and delivery, the deliveries where they did not know the gender of their baby until the baby was born hands down were the best deliveries ever yeah so my oldest is William we knew that he was a boy so by the time we were pregnant again I really wanted to know 
because I really wanted a girl bad. (laughs) And so I just felt this maternal instinct. This is a girl. And when they were scanning me, they were like, well, there's his penis right there. (laughs) I was just like, what? No, I felt like this was a girl. So then by the time we had our our last baby, who is four months old now, I did um, some lab work at 12 weeks where they could determine if the baby was healthy genetically. And then from that lab work, they could find out if the baby was a boy or a girl. So I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty crazy the um, science that they have these days. But so they put it in an envelope and my husband and I opened it together. So we were excited yeah. to have a have a daughter. Oh, but. yeah, that would be kind of fun. I mean, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, the, the science has changed in having a baby from when we had them because mm-hmm. we have older children in their teens and 20s. Right. And from now, it's just what to expect is the same as far as how your body changes. But the science behind it all has definitely changed. It's been smarter, much smarter. And you know so much more, even from like preconception um, to conceiving the baby. My husband and I did struggle with some infertility too. So we really learned that whole process and how many millions of sperm are in each milliliter. And it is, it's insane how much knowledge is out there for you to know. And I feel like even becoming a parent, I can imagine when my mom raised us, there wasn't all of this information out there that made weighed so heavily on you as you're trying to do things right. You kind of just winged it and, you know, figured it out. But now I feel like in this day and age, everything is at our fingertips with our phones and we want our babies to meet these milestones. And, you know, there's so much pressure to have this perfect, Mm -hmm. healthy baby. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. So second trimester, that's the, that's the breeze through third trimester happens at what week and what occurs to the body. And can you talk too about what should we expect as far as weight gain for baby and mama and Um, dad? So, (laughs) so the third trimester is 28 weeks to until delivery. You start out the third trimester with your gestational diabetes screen. So they'll do that right around 28 weeks. You go in, they'll give you like a little shot of glucola. um, And then they will check your blood sugar one hour from the time that you drank that sugary drink. The third trimester is where you'll really start to have the most rapid fetal growth. Every person is different as far as how much weight they gained in their pregnancy. I have two beautiful sister-in-laws. They looked glowing. They gained minimal amount of weight while they were pregnant. And I was always a 50-pound weight gain, like, off the bat. Whether I was eating healthy or whether I was eating sugar donuts every day, I just gained a lot of weight. Typically, people will kind of get hung up in that, how many pounds they've gained your provider will let you know if they're concerned that you're not gaining enough or you're gaining too much. Eat normally how you would normally eat. um, And if you're hungry, eat. Obviously, we want you to eat a well-balanced diet, vegetables, fruits, good whole foods. But sometimes when you're pregnant, you just crave a piece of pizza too. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Dads, the sympathy weight is always so nice when they gain it with you. My (laughs) husband is super healthy and health-minded, so I never had a good sympathy eater with me (laughs) other than my five-year-old. So he was always down to get four queens with me when we wanted to go. (laughs) But yeah, I would tell an expecting mom, don't get too wrapped up in your weight gain um, or worry about it because your doctor will let you know if they feel like you're gaining too much or losing too much. 
when we do the gestational diabetes screen too, that will tell us if your baby's at risk for um, being a larger baby. Sometimes people with gestational diabetes, that's one risk with that is that they um, have bigger babies. So there's extra monitoring and stuff that comes in if we are worried about it. And a bigger baby is classified as what? I would say like eight to nine pounds okay. and up. Yeah. Okay. And is it because of their, is is that just because then they're more prone to getting a diabetes or being overweight no, or is it just more gesta- of the health of the mother? Gestational diabetes is a completely different diagnosis from regular diabetes. So some people just while they're pregnant, um, the way that their body breaks down sugars will classify them in gestational diabetes. Sometimes we have super petite people that get gestational diabetes and sometimes we have our more overweight patients that have it. One thing, if we know that somebody's hemoglobin A1C is higher at the beginning of pregnancy, that we feel like they're more at risk for developing gestational diabetes, we'll tell them off the bat, you know, stay away from those um, processed sugars. Um, And when you are eating carbs, make sure they're the good carbs. So like the brown rice, the quinoa versus the like white rice, the pastas, um, fast foods, things like that. Mm -hmm. But typically in a diabetes diagnosis, those mamas will have high blood sugar. So their pancreases are working hard to keep those um, insulin levels down. So when you have a baby born from a gestational diabetic mom, they had high blood sugars in utero too. So their little pancreases were working hard to deal with those sugars. So then when they're born and they're not attached to the mom anymore, their sugars settle down, but their pancreas is still in overdrive. So sometimes those babies that is sometimes a problem with babies from gestational diabetic moms that their blood sugars will kind of bottom out right away. So we just do extra blood sugar checks on the baby in the hospital and kind of watch for them um, to make sure that that doesn't happen. So are there signs and symptoms to, okay, end of trimester, third trimester, I'm going to have this baby. What What are some signs for new mamas to know besides contractions that, hey, you might be going into labor or when to know it's real labor? Okay. So that is the biggest question that we get is when do we know it's real labor? And like I said, I was a labor and delivery nurse for many years and now I work in this office and every single baby that my husband and I have had, I've said, leave the bags in the car. I am not going to be that person (laughs) that thinks I'm in labor and they send us home. Um, So I do feel like when it's happening to you, you don't know um, Have oh you my ever gosh. been sent home thinking you were in labor? No, every no. time it was the real deal. <laughs> Good for you. But um, my mom got sent home a couple of times when she was having her baby. So, um, and that's not like the walk of shame. Tons of people get sent home. It's yeah. it's just um, you don't know. You don't. Um, so sometimes your water will break. With my oldest son, my water broke, but I didn't know it. So sometimes when your water breaks at home, it is like in the movies where it's that big gush and your pants are drenched mm-hmm. and um, you know for sure, yeah, my water just broke. Sometimes it will feel like a little slow trickle of fluid. And when you're 40 weeks pregnant, there's kind of a lot going on down there anyway. So you're like, <laughs> yeah. did I pee? Yeah. Am I sweaty? <laughs> like yeah. what's happening? So it's not always blatantly obvious that your water broke. Sometimes you'll have a lot of contractions towards the end of pregnancy. So these contractions may be pretty regular um, or they may be irregular. So Braxton Hicks contractions can sometimes feel like the real deal. But then all of a sudden, after you've been contracting for two hours, they go away. So I typically tell people, especially if it's your first baby, if you think you're going into labor and you're at home and you're wondering if this is the real deal, try to just ignore it watch The Bachelor, do your laundry, take a bath, 
because if it's real labor, you're not going to be able to ignore it after a certain time. And that early labor goes on for a little while. So you'd rather be at home watching The Bachelor and eating nachos and (laughs) taking a bath than sitting in a hospital bed with an IV in your arm waiting on this baby. So once labor, you're not going to miss the delivery of your baby. I promise you that. Um, But we typically tell people to start heading into the hospital when your contractions are very rhythmic and regular. So like every three to five minutes apart um, or if your water broke. Um, A sign that you're dilating more, Um, sometimes you'll get like that bloody show, like when you go to the bathroom, it'll appear Mm -hmm. a little bloody. Um, That's a sign that your cervix is opening and dilating more. Um, So all of those things. We always tell people to call labor and delivery the charge nurse there or call their office and we can kind of triage you like this over the phone and just kind of ask how many weeks are you. Around 36 weeks, they'll do a, a test called the group beta strep test. And so if you're positive for that bacteria, we want you to come in a little sooner than we want somebody who's GBS negative. So if you ever wonder, am I going into labor? Is it time to go to the hospital? I would always just say, call your doctor's office or call labor and delivery, and they'll kind of ask you those questions. Plus, um, at our hospital, I know labor patients are one-to-one with the nurses. So even if it's not like time for you to come in right now because you're going to have a baby in the next like four hours. It is nice for the nursing staff to know that we have somebody looming out there Mm -hmm. that's, you know, things are kind of getting heated up so that they can adjust their staffing, you know, to make room for for you to come in. I know it must be really exciting being an OB nurse. Just listening to you, it's like, oh, you get I know. to see the beginning. Of I miss new, it so yeah. much. I do. I miss it so much. But, but those I hours, ke- man. Yes, <laughs> I kept having these babies, and um, <laughs> the hours. It's be- the clinic hours are better for my family. Right. Yeah. All right. I need to ask this because I know people are listening, thinking this, and those guys who are listening. How can you help? I mean, there's a couple myths to getting pre- getting um into induced, labor yes into right. labor what yeah. are some natural things we hear of things of like uh well having sex put yeah. me into labor what are your thoughts um the reason that they say will sex put you into labor sometimes it can because um your body is releasing those prostaglandins um during intercourse so yes you know sex spicy food walking things like that I do think there is some weight to those myths, but I also just feel like babies come when babies want to come. <laughs> right. Sometimes if people are trying to naturally induce at home, too, they'll do like nipple stimulation. Uh-huh. So- I, I actually, <laughs> TMI, but I, I've had three children and two of them were two full weeks overdue, extremely overdue. And um, one of them was only three days overdue, and that's my nipple stimulation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. So it worked. Yeah. So sometimes people even hook their pumps up or just like manually like stimulate their nipples, and that's the same thing. It's releasing your body's natural oxytocin, um, and it gives so, you contractions. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. like if you had to go into the hospital to be induced, they would give you a medication called Pitocin mm-hmm. to start those contractions sure. sometimes. But when you are doing like nipple stimulation or you are having contractions on your own, that is your body's natural oxytocin right. or that natural Pitocin. So it's not myth. It's I true. told you. I, re- I told you, Sherry. I read about it. <laughs> um, so, all right. So we are in... We are ready to have that baby, and now we're starting labor. Can you tell us about what to expect as far as pain, pain control? What can we do? What should we – I mean, I know everybody usually goes through Lamaze classes, and they prep you for all of this stuff. But 
what is the, I mean, what are your thoughts on using an epidural versus going natural or, you know, what are the recommendations on all of that? I think to each his own as far as pain control goes. Personally, I was always someone that not having an epidural was not an option. Like I needed my epidural. Me too. <laughs> um, typically, we we want you to be a little uncomfortable before you get your epidural because we know that your body is in labor. Your body is doing doing the work. Sometimes once you get the epidural, it can stall your labor out a little bit. So we want to make sure that you're you've already kind of you're going down that road. Mm-hmm. That being said, sometimes if you're in a ton of pain too and you finally give in and get the epidural, that can speed things up as well. Sometimes you maybe your body was so tightened up and you couldn't dilate past a four or a five because you were in so much pain that once you finally got that epidural, you're able to just relax and take a nap. Um, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're eight centimeters. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get an epidural all the way up to 10 centimeters. We just don't want the baby to be coming out and you have to be able to sit still enough for the epidural. So obviously if you have gone to full dilation and you're about to have a baby, it's pretty hard to sit there while the anesthesiologist performs the epidural. If you do ahead of time before having the baby, it's something that you really want to do. You just really want to go natural. I do really recommend taking a Lamaze class or something like that because they will practice all of those relaxation techniques with you, which you may not think is that big of a deal, but the strongest component of birth, I feel like is your brain. Mm -hmm. It's always mind over matter. So for instance, when I went into labor, I was panicked. I need this epidural right now. I cannot (laughs) do this without an epidural. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I did do. Um, Because that wasn't even in my mind that I was going to do this without an epidural. So if you know I can do this, I'm listening to a nice music, I'm sitting in a warm bath, I'm getting a massage, and you're um, hitting on all of your sensory things to help you relax, it's gonna you're gonna perceive that pain as a lot less painful than it is when you're like, I'm not taking a bath and I'm just in a ton of pain. My uterus keeps contracting. I can't do this. Um, you're gonna feel more panicked. So in Lamaze, we talk about that a lot. When you feel scared, you start, you know, as you feel more anxious, you start to perceive that pain as a lot stronger than it actually is. And we will do different activities that kind of show that. So in our Lamaze class, we will have people squeeze a bag of ice and I will time it and I will say, all I want you to do while you squeeze this bag of ice is think about how strong and how much, how uncomfortable and cold this ice feels. And so I'll time it for like 45 seconds. So then the next time we'll take a little break. And so then the next time they squeeze that baggie of ice, I will say, now I want your husband to give you a back rub and I want you to think about something um, really nice in your life. I want you to listen to some good music and you can get up around and walk around the room or change position, sit on a birthing ball. And that contraction, I'll time for like 70 seconds and I'll ask the class, which contraction felt worse, the first one or the contraction being when they were squeezing the ice? Which one felt longer and more uncomfortable? And everybody always says that first contraction that took like 40, 45 seconds. So I think that's just a good exercise to think about. If you are moving around the room and you're trying to distract yourself and you're trying to stay relaxed, you're going to perceive those contractions and that pain as a lot less painful than it is if all you're doing is feeling scared and cold and you're sitting in this hospital bed and these contractions hurt so bad. 
because labor is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the process of labor, your uterus is contracting and you're going to squeeze a baby out of a small area of your body. <laughs> so in general, there's no such thing as a painless delivery. But if you do want to go natural, the midwives are so helpful with coaching you through all of those painful times. Um, and I do think prepping yourself ahead of time, taking those Lamaze classes and things like that will help just get your head in the space for what can I expect when these contractions do come on long, strong, and hard. So once you get that epidural, typically all that contraction pain will go away and you w- should be able to take a nap, relax, you know, watch TV, things like that. Enjoy the journey. Yes. (laughs) But also with the epidural, you're kind of stuck in bed after that. And you have to have the continuous monitoring on your tummy. If you're at one or two centimeters, you're going to be there for the long haul. You're going to be there until you deliver the baby because your legs will be numb and you won't be able to get up and about. And they'll have to, um, you know, empty your bladder for you. So do like a straight catheter every couple of hours as well. Is there a typical length of time for what they like women in labor? I mean, is there a time where it's like, okay, we need to really start looking at maybe getting a C-section because labor's taking too long? So typically we start the time clock once your water breaks because that is your biggest barrier between um, infection for for you and for the baby. Um, We don't want a person to be laboring too long with their amniotic sac, their amniotic sac broken, um, because obviously every time you do a cervical exam or anything like that, it's you know bringing that towards the mm-hmm. baby. There's never a time that it's like if your baby is looking good on the monitor and healthy and happy, they wouldn't just say, "Okay, let's rush back for a C-section." Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving parts with the time frame of labor. Everybody's body is different. Um, there is certain things like when they recheck your cervix every couple of hours, they do like to see um, you dilate farther and, you know, labor moving along. But typically, they'll kind of let your baby lead the way. So as long as your baby's looking healthy, you're not running a fever and things are going smooth. Um, most of the time, all of the staff is super patient as long as it takes for you to deliver the baby. You know, not. I was, I was just thinking about what you said about the mind is such a powerful thing. And when you do your Lamaze classes, you talk about the ice versus the back rub and putting your mindset into something. And I remember back in my day, 20 years ago, we didn't have a lot of the tools that they teach now in Lamaze classes. I went to a prenatal class. I knew I was going to have the epidural but they still prepare you in those classes for pain. I mean, and like you said, no matter if you if you get an epidural or if you get uh, if you do it natural, you're you want to feel the pain a little bit so you you know you you get that labor going. And I remember I got my epidural at five, and I purposely did it at five because I was like I kind of want to make sure that I'm far enough along so I'm not sitting in that bed the whole time mm-hmm. too. So, um, but I do remember in the prenatal classes they talked a lot about vision and breath mm-hmm. like making sure that you're breathing and you're breathing through and that it calms your your heart rate down and I mean what are your thoughts do you guys teach breathing techniques as well through Lamaze so the old school Lamaze like the yeah not that Lamaze, kind of, yeah <laughs> that um is kind of how the history of Lamaze started we will teach like guided relaxation and how to slow your breathing because when you do get scared and you are in pain, your breaths will be short and not as deep. So you're not getting as much oxygen to you and essentially to the baby when you start to hyperventilate. Um, so we will 
as nurses, if some, if our patient is doing that, we will just say, okay, all we're going to focus on right now is taking deep, deep breaths in and out. And it sounds stupid that you someone would have to tell you how to breathe, but sometimes just listening to that voice, Mm -hmm. whether it's your husband's voice or the nurse or the midwife or the doctor's voice just telling you what to do, then that's all you're focusing on is taking those big, deep breaths, which essentially is going to give you more oxygen, give the baby more oxygen, and make everybody feel more relaxed. Um, So hopefully make that perception of pain go down. But I will say, sometimes I would walk into a room on labor and delivery and I could tell my patient, you know, they were sweating, they were bent over, they were breathing harder, they were in more pain. And it's not uncommon for a labor nurse to say, oh, good, they're getting more uncomfortable because that (laughs) is a good sign that things are progressing and that labor is going. Mm -hmm. So we like to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that we're mean, but it (laughs) is funny. It'd be like, oh, good. These look a lot stronger and more painful. Um, But I say in Lama's class, when it comes to labor, you can expect that pain. Um, It's purposeful pain. So you know that you're not doing this all for nothing. At the end of this, you're going to get the grand prize of this beautiful baby. Mm -hmm. So once you're having that contraction, you just think about it. This is all to get this baby and this contraction is going to go away, but then I'm going to have another contraction. Mm -hmm. So you know, your contraction kind of works its way up. It gets super, super strong. And all you're thinking about is I'm doing this to meet my baby. And then that contraction will kind of go away. It'll start to get less strong, less strong, less strong. And then your uterus will relax for a couple of minutes. So in those couple of minutes, you can just close your eyes and try to um, just rest, but then not to panic because you know, there's another contraction that's going to come in three minutes or mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. And so when that contraction comes, you're not surprised by it. But then again, you just start that. Just got to uh, get through it. Yes. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for listening in today on our um, podcast about what to expect when you're expecting. We could talk about this all day long. All day. All There's day. so many questions and thoughts, and I could go on and on and on. We got to stop this conversation for today, but I promise you we will pick it up right where we left off next week. We know you have lots to do, too, so we're going to stop it today. But please come back and listen to the remaining podcast about what to expect when you're expecting. And as always, live your best life.